Welcome to the Park Hills Podcast. Today, we're going to look at Revelation 4 and 5. Again, if you haven't uh, checked out the, the sermons, please do that, or you can also look at the blog posts. We want to give you as many resources as we can at parkhillschurch.com. So moving into Revelation 4 and 5, we want to do kind of an intro into one of the more mysterious ideas in Scripture, which we really consider this, you know, the throne room of God, which is an image that shows up a number of times. We're going to look at these passages in just a second to show you some of them. But the overall concept of of this part of the podcast is, remember, we're, we're talking about notes on the cutting room floor, things that we weren't able to maybe put into the sermon you know, if we want to do a sermon on just this, we could have spent weeks on just this concept, the throne room of God, and then yeah. moved into Revelation 4 and 5 and tried to make it make sense. And I don't know that that would have happened. So we're trying to just create a space here for you to kind of listen and think about it with us. And so in order to do that, we thought it'd be good to start with a couple of passages that will lead us to Revelation 4 and 5. And Mark, why don't you read the Exodus 24, 9 through 14 passage? Yeah, let me do that. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab... Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you tables of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you, And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. All right, 2 Kings, sorry, 1 Kings 22, 19 through 23 says this. And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And he said one thing, and another said another. And a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said, By what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets, and the Lord has declared disaster for you. One of the more famous passages, Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. 
Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. One of the less known passages, uh, Psalm 11, verse 4, says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. Another less known one, Psalm 82, 1 and 2. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Ezekiel 1, one of the more probably famous passages, although no one ever reads Ezekiel and talks about it because it's just crazy. Uh, Ezekiel 1, verse 4, and then I'm going to skip to verse 26 through 28. And as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human appearance. Never mind the fact that it said seated above the throne, but that's... <laughs> That's a, whole, a crazy idea. Whole other issue. Yeah, verse 27. And upward from that, uh, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were a gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire, enclosed all around. And downward from that had the appearance of his waist, I saw that there was the appearance of fire, and there was brightness about him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. And then Revelation 4, 1 through 8, the ones that we read for the sermon. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So first off, the first thing you should see, we just read seven passages, six of which are in the Old Testament, and every single one of those were talking about the exact same concept. This idea of God's throne being something beyond us that we can't fully comprehend. It, it, did you hear they kept saying things like, as it were, or uh, there's just this idea that they can't fully comprehend what they're seeing, and so they're doing their best to put it in human language, 
and like drop it in our lap going, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I saw. This is the closest thing I can use to describe it. So and even as slow as you go, trying to read it and think about it and try to build it as descriptions are added, it's still hard, isn't it? I mean, you still, you're going, what on earth, you know, or in heaven, I guess you'd yeah. say, what in heaven is going on? Because uh, it's, it's amazing. It's just this idea. And, and even the fact that they use the word heaven, I think we think of heaven being what we, you know, we think of golden streets and the, you know, the four, the three gates on each side of the walls and all the gates are made of one pearl. That space doesn't exist on this. It doesn't exist quite yet, or, or at least it hasn't ended up in its final resting place. That's the end of revelation. So even when we think about heaven, most of the ideas we have about heaven aren't really accurate. We just, we can't fully comprehend it. And what we need to think about now is for some reason, God is lofty and high above us, seated in the firmament up in the sky. And so whether it's the elders walking up Mount Sinai and they look up and they see his feet (laughs) sitting on, like they said his feet were sitting on a street. Where is that street? Are they underneath the street looking up? Are they seeing just the bottom of his feet and wondering what in the world? This guy is amazing and huge. And one of the other questions I have is like, why does God even show himself to us in those ways? Why not just do something else completely, but I'm not God. And so that is. So part of what we wanted to do is just kind of do a quick imagination experiment of the throne of God. And we've both taught sermons on this. We have we have talked about the throne room of God, whether it's Revelation four, uh, which you taught just you know a few days ago, or whether it is uh, a number of other passages throughout the Bible that I you know Isaiah six is one of those famous ones. We dealt with that around Christmas time, and you read Isaiah six and you just go, "Whoa, I have no idea what's going on." And typically, when I read those passages, the first thing that happens in my brain is I think of just God on a throne, and I don't think of anything else. But when you read the Psalm eighty two passage. There's a bunch of other beings there. Mm-hmm. It's not just God by himself. God is surrounded by these created creatures of his. And then you look at the, the Ezekiel passage and the Revelation passage. You've got these creatures that are all over the place. And you're going, these four living creatures sound terrifying. Yeah. You know, if one of those came to earth, it'd be like way worse than Godzilla. You know, or like we always read, watch these movies of like these mutated beings that come and destroy stuff. These four sound scary enough that if they showed up, we'd all bow down and worship them. But those four beings are bowing down and worshiping the one on the throne because they know where it properly goes. And so as we begin to just kind of work in this imagination experiment, I just want you to think this throne, I've heard some scholars say it could be hundreds of miles tall. I can't even comprehend the size of that thing. I can't comprehend of if it's, if it's a couple hundred miles tall or even a hundred miles tall, that's our atmosphere is a hundred miles tall. And if it's that tall, then it has to be about that wide. That's, a, that's from here to Chicago. Well, and think of the, the description of lightning and peals of thunder coming from the throne. That doesn't suggest that it's just a you know, 10-foot throne or a 5-foot throne. Right. It suggests that that throne is big and from which this power is being d- demonstrated. Amazing. And the things that we're most scared of. You know, like you think about lightning and thunder. Like I think of, I love watching thunderstorms, but when I'm standing outside watching one, I'm always looking around like, is, am I the tallest thing in this field right now? Or should I, like, should I be somewhere else? There's a power to that. And the fact that those things that are super powerful to us, that scare us a little bit, are just around him all the time. Uh, he's a little bit terrifying. Oh, for sure. You know, the idea that as the, the closer you move to him, the more afraid of him you should be. But at the same time, he has welcomed us in 
that concept we're going to get to later on in Revelation, but it is, a, it is a crazy concept to think about. Well, even just little phrases here, like the throne, around the throne was a rainbow, but John adds that it had the appearance of an emerald. Here's this emerald where you can kind of see through it, but it's got all these crystal angles. And this is not just a, a rainbow like we see in the distance. He's getting an up-close view of a, of a rainbow of extraordinary uh, beauty. And I've seen artists try to try to write, you know, do this. And you used one of those for the sermon. You used a picture to kind of look at this picture. And we were all like, oh, I've seen so many artist depictions. And every one of them, I'm kind of like... That's, That's not grabbing it. Fine, but it's not. You know, it's not yeah. grabbing it. You know, it's not touching what you're trying to touch. And so it's, it's almost unfair to the artist to try to describe something that they can't even describe, let alone the person who's seeing it can't describe it in proper language. So all, all that to say, like we could go into this thought experiment for the whole time. We we don't need to do that because especially when we get to Revelation 22, we'll spend a little more time just thinking about the city of God and what His throne means and why that's so important. But there's two specific creatures that are mentioned, uh, two sets of creatures, I should say. There's a set of creatures called the 24 elders, and then there's a set of creatures called the four living creatures. And so the elders, dive into that with me a little bit. What are you thinking? Again, it's really hard to, to know for su- certain who they are. And by the way, I want to direct you to the uh, to the blog. Pastor Larry did a, a beautiful job of kind of helping lay that out for us. I mean, the, the question then becomes, are these elders who were human rulers of some point? some sort. And again, the numbers are significant. Um, the 24, you know, we've got the 12 tribes of Israel, we've got the 12 apostles. Some suggest that might be a, a representation of some of those. Uh, there's also this idea that maybe these are spiritual beings, uh, maybe angels charged with uh, watching over humans. And and uh, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, were the human rulers uh, who were were great for some reason, great kings, great leaders, uh, ones that that were chosen by God. I mean, that's a possibility. Again, the twelve tribes and the and twelve apostles, uh, uh, tribal leaders were not always great. They haven't always done the best things. Uh, you got. I mean, Joseph would disagree with that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think my 11 brothers should be sitting on a throne next to me. Uh, they kind of yeah. sold me into slavery. I don't, what did they <laughs> achieve? Or what reward are they throwing down? Yeah. Um, elders from those tribes, possibly. Um, 12 so, apostles, again, which ones? Yeah. And even I think that Peter, James, and John being set apart within the, the disciples suggests that, you know, God may choose who he so desires to be these elders. Obviously, he does do that. But so, again, uh, uh, Judas Iscariot isn't going to get one of those roles. <laughs> um, uh, again, it could be these angels who were uh, had various charges of watching over humans. But, uh, again, I'm not sure that they would get... Um, rewards for what they're doing. I mean, they're just uh, in his service. So again, not no solid answers here, uh, but no matter who they are, I, I love this idea that these crowns that they're wearing, Stephanos, this crown of reward, not, not uh, diadema, that, that these aren't royalty crowns, that they're crowns that they've, they've earned. And in light of the throne and, and in light of, of God, they feel completely unworthy. So they leave their throne and they cast their crown. Uh, boy, it just tells us a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, you know, I've heard 
individuals or red individuals who have taken any one of those possibilities and they have run with it. But whenever you start breaking down, like who are the greatest human leaders that ever existed? A lot of times those are individuals you don't want on a throne. You know, uh, Hitler was probably one of the greatest human leaders that ever existed. He, he's not one of those 12 leaders who's no. bowing before the Lord. You know, if you think about uh, even the 12 apostles, yeah, who, which ones, who are we going to talk about there? And it's crazy. And so I, you just, the more people try to break it down and say, this is exactly who these 24 elders are. I've never been convinced at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm far more comfortable presenting possibilities and, right. and who knows, you know, but it's risky to make anything too certain for sure. Right. Which leads us into the second group of individuals that we wanted to talk about these four creatures and they're, they're, you know, they're in Ezekiel, they're in Revelation, they show up in a few different places in Scripture, they're in Isaiah. So you start to go, okay, are these just unique beings that God has created? That it very, yeah, I mean, they're obviously, there's nothing else like them. It talks about their faces being like this or that. I find it interesting, and you talked about this in the sermon briefly, but in Ezekiel, they have all four of those faces almost on a rotation. It's like their yeah. faces don't quite stay set. But then you get to the Revelation 4 passage, and it's like, this one has this face, yep. this one has this face, this one has this face. And one of the really unique ways I've heard this, and, and this is from a scholar that eventually, uh, you know, the Bible Project brings this up in one of their podcasts, that the idea of a quark or a, even an atom, like the further down the microscope we look, we get to these little particles and we try to capture them. But what's amazing is by the time you capture the particle, it has already moved from where it was. <laughs> so it's almost like the idea that, you know, a quark, we can, we can draw a picture of what a quark looks like. But the moment the quark moves from the space that you took the picture or, or drew a picture of it, it has already changed its form into another one. And that idea is so compelling to me. Are these, these beings, these four living creatures, are they so completely undiscernible? as to who they are or what they are, that they are moving around so fast around the throne. You know, I'll kind of imagine like a, like a good special effect movie where something's moving really fast. You know, like think of The Flash or some of these other things in the movies that you see. And it's almost like you look at them and you try to grab that moment. And then the moment you do, they're gone. They're somewhere else. And you're going, I think I saw this, but I'm not totally sure. And now they're over here and they look different. And then they look different over here. It, you know, it reminds me of the, the sun. We are seven minutes past where the sun was. It takes that long for light to get from where it is to us. So whatever you're looking at is past tense. It's old news. And that's a crazy idea, right? Or if I said, you know, right now, well, th that moment just passed. Like I can't, I can never grab the present in the way that I would like to. And I almost kind of imagine that's what these things are. They are so beyond us that even the four creatures are like, zoom, 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 zoom. Well, even add all the full of eyes. Oh, totally. You know, Terrifying. everybody likes to talk about a good piece of artwork on the wall where the eyes follow you no matter what imagine imagine these creatures looking at you with all those eyes yeah. and all that movement that that'd be freaky and and yeah i i think i have no problem with the, the varying descriptions here because i think they're both trying to describe right. something that's indescribable totally and there's this idea that you know they're terrifying to some extent i mean the fact that people want to bow down and worship them every time they see them that's crazy. That's craziness to me. And that, and they're the high end of the spectrum of what God created, whereas the angels are the low totem. They're like they're the bottom of the totem pole. And even when they show up, people are bowing down to them, going, "I I'm not worthy." And they're like, "Stand up!" Like I'm I'm not to be worshipped. He's the one to be worshipped. And, and when we get to that idea, 
who is the one who's deserving of worship? I think you close the sermon out fantastically in both services here, just talking about who Jesus is, why that's important. He's the lamb. He's the one who has the ability to open the, you know, the seals on the scroll. But there's a description of him in Revelation 5 that we want to dive into for just a second or two to think about. And what is that, Mark? Well, here you see the lamb standing as though it had been slain. Um, and, and you have the seven horns and the power and the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all, all the earth. You, you know, I think times like going to the Lord's Supper and, and communion really inspire additional worship in us because we remember mm-hmm. what Christ did for us. And as I thought about this, I thought, how, how amazing that our Messiah, the lamb for sinners slain, bears those scars and will carry them into eternity, which means for us to behold our Messiah, to take him in with our eyes, means we cannot forget mm-hmm. what he did. We are, we are going to remember and, and we are going to be drawn into this worship that we see creates the new song. Mm-hmm. Worthy are you, worthy to him who sits on the throne, blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I mean, we're going to be drawn to worship as we look upon the Messiah because we can't look upon the Messiah without seeing the scars that redeemed us from our condemnation. How cool is that? That's an incredible thought and a perfect way to end this episode as we just think about worship itself. Worship the right thing, <laughs> not, not the other things. They're worship, you know, the, the creatures and the elders are worshiping the right thing. Who are they worshiping? They're worshiping the one on the throne. They're worshiping the lamb. Why are they worshiping the lamb? Because he's worthy, because he did what he was supposed to do. He accomplished the will of God. And in doing so, he saved us and he bears those marks possibly forever. And that's a creature's are going, Yeah, you think I'm cool. You, you need to look at the one 